0: Hey, what's good, Calvary family? Ben Daly here. I want to thank you for being a part of Calvary's worship experience, both here in person and online, whatever location. Kim and I are taking a few days to rest and refresh, and I'll say it again, we could never do that if we didn't have such an amazing team that continues serving us at every location. We're currently in a summer series called Pastor, I've Got a Question, a series that was prompted by questions that I've been asked over and over and over again as a pastor. We all find ourselves asking questions at times, don't we? Doubt isn't something to be afraid of. It isn't necessarily a sign of not having enough faith. The reality is that doubt is oftentimes the doorway of discovery to deeper truth when the doubt road is traveled with God. Underneath our doubt is usually fear, some kind of fear we have, an assumption we've made or a lie that we believe. It's when we uncover that fear that truth can set us free from captivity. Doubt that leads to questioning helps us sort out assumptions and lies from fact and truth. Embrace the doubt and questions, face them head on, see them as doorways to discovery through which you and God can walk and journey together. The truth is that we all have questions, but sometimes we're afraid to ask them. But in this series, we will encourage you to embrace the gift of questioning and in doing so discover the beauty contained in previously hidden treasures. When we ask questions, we act like a miner who, who who suspects that there's gold hidden in a certain spot. And so he digs and he works to unearth and discover the treasure, the mysteries hidden in Christ. I I can't wait to be back with you in just a few days to answer some of your questions. But I've got a great teaching team at every location ready to go. So let's jump right into week two of this series. Pastor, I've got a question. And we're continuing where we left off last week Pastor, can we go too far with this race thing? Are you ready? Here we go.
1: Well, thank you, Pastor Ben. That is a really good question. Can we thank God for our lead pastor today, man? I love him dearly. I'm so excited about being on part of this team. They've been leading us through some uncharted territory. They're taking some much needed rest. They will be back soon. As you can see, I'm not alone today all the way from wallace north carolina can you give it up for pastor brad hanging out with us today in irving man i'm so excited to have you here with us i know it's tough to leave home but man when you are here in irving you always got a word you always encourage us let's give it up for him one more time go ahead and greet the people pastor brad. what's
2: up calvary irving come on if you love jesus let me hear you well, you know, Pastor Cream, it's tough to leave home, but at least when I get to leave home, we get to come home. Come on, somebody. I've always loved being with our Irving family, so it's good to be in the house. Pastor Kayla and the kids are back in Wallace taking care of things, but I'm excited to be here because we're tackling some tough questions. And uh, we miss our pastor, but man, I thank God that he's empowered us to be able to take this message while he's gone. So let's get into this
1: thing, Pastor. Well, I'm glad you're here, too, because these are some tough questions today, and I've got some reinforcement And there's one in particular that I'm very excited for you to answer for us today. But when we bring up this subject of grace, here's something we've talked about. We notice just this overwhelming sense of fear. So many leaders, pastors are afraid to talk about grace. And we're here to make a declaration at Calvary, whatever location, we're not afraid to talk about grace. I love what Paul said. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. What does ashamed mean? I'm not afraid of what people think, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Then when he's, he's encouraging his young son, he says, he says that uh, God has not given you A spirit of fear but of what power of love and of a sound mind you know what he was doing he was telling his young son don't be afraid of the response that people may have towards grace and by the way Isn't it by grace that we receive the power, the love, and the sound mind? This message that we preach, it is the only message that has a non-schizophrenic tone to it. It is the message of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So clap your hands, Calvary, because that's all we preach here is the finished work. But here's one of the reasons they're afraid, and this is why we got to have a series like this during uh, this summer people are afraid of the message of the gospel of grace because it suggests that we can go a little bit too far or maybe way too far with grace they're worried about what might happen if we put a heavy amount of attention on what Jesus has done for you as you versus what you are trying to do in your own power to gain the free gift of salvation aren't you glad the work is already done and all you simply have to do is believe it and receive it That's right. here's why we preach grace we got to remember that grace involved God expressing his unconditional love and favor towards us independent of what we do or don't do God is his grace is Jesus personified it is the very person of Jesus so to say you can go too far with grace is like saying you can go too far with Jesus and we all know that's crazy please clap your hands if you know that makes absolutely no sense at all so here's what I've noticed too pastor Brad and we do this a lot We don't question God's goodness. You know what we do? If I was to make a statement right now, there would be an overwhelming response. If I said, God is good, you know what everybody's gonna say? All the time. And I'm gonna say all the time. God is good. See, we never question his goodness. We never question his holiness. We never question his love. But why is it that we always question grace? The very part of his nature that allows you to experience his goodness and his holiness and his love. So we got to really talk about this. Could this be why Romans 5, 7, here's what Paul said. He says, for if by the transgression of the one, Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace. Those who receive the abundance of grace. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will what? Reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Paul is saying in order to reign in life, there needs to be an abundance of grace. So can we go too far with it? Well, according to Paul, we ain't even close. We need the abundance of grace if we want to reign in life. Clap your hands if you got every plan to reign in life. So I got you here with me, Pastor Brad. We're going to walk through some things, talk through some things, answer some questions. And uh, as we go into the second part of Can We Go Too Far With Grace, lead us into the first one and let's walk through this thing today. Yeah, absolutely, Pastor Cream. because, you know, in order to answer that question, yep. there's a lot of sub-questions
2: that need to be answered. And we answered some last week. Yep. But let's dive into some today because we need to make this thing. Here's our deal. We're not trying to make the gospel theological. It's got to be lived out in our everyday life. So we got to be able to answer the tough questions with the word of God. And let's get right into it because the first question is this. And I love this one. This is we'll kick it off strong. Ready for this? Won't an overemphasis on grace make people more prone to sin? Man, I tell you, I've been asked that question more than any other question in the last decade. Will will preaching too much grace cause us to sin more? Does it give us a license to sin? We got all kinds of questions. And it's not a new question, I wanna tell you, that's not something just, that's just come up in, the, in this new grace phase that everybody's talking about when they're actually mm-hmm. talking about the gospel. Because Paul dealt with this very issue when he's, when he's, when he's writing to the Romans. Because he gets asked by the Roman people, they said, hey, so Paul, you know, can we, if you're saying where there's more sin, yeah. there's more grace, should we yeah. sin? And I love how he responds. Listen to, listen to Romans 6.1, Paul asks this question. What shall we say then, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? And I'm glad I'm not in attendance there when he said that because I would have said, that's the dumbest question anybody could ever. You don't sin more to get more grace. It's the abundance of grace that blesses us in the midst of sin and temptation that allows us to truly live triumphant over sin. Now, 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 let me just say this. The fact that this question even surfaces so often is really intriguing. Because if you think about it, could it be that when grace is preached fully, when the gospel is truly ministered like it should be, it inevitably leads us to this question. If that is the case, is it possible that where the question isn't being asked, that grace is not being shared or proclaimed to the extent it should be? In other words, if we're not asking that question, we're not preaching the gospel. Come on, somebody. Come on. Because here's what I know, Pastor Green, the gospel brings believers into this idea of having victory over sin. You know why? Because preaching grace puts the emphasis on what Jesus did, not what I'm trying to do. It's it's what he did at the cross, not what I'm trying to overcome every day. I've got to recognize that all the emphasis is on him and not on me, on what he did, not on what I do. And if you believe that, somebody shout amen right now. How many of y'all are glad that it's about Jesus? Because let's just be honest. Jesus is a little better at this than we are. Come on, somebody. So it's all about Jesus. That's what the beauty of the gospel does. It puts all the emphasis on Christ. In fact, Romans 6:14, I love how Paul says. He says, you're not under the law anymore. you're under grace. Therefore, yeah. sin no longer has dominion over you. because when we were under the law, yeah. sin was our master because we in ourselves and our own efforts could not fulfill the law, so therefore we had to make ourselves enslaved to sin. But Paul says, now that you're under grace, now that the goodness of God is the influence on your heart and you are being led by the Spirit of God, here's what happens, you're no longer under sin, sin is beneath you. You better get happy when I say that right there. In fact, let me say it like this, Pastor Scream: if you are actually living in sin and you're saying sin's your master, that's proof that you don't understand the grace of God. If you're continuing to live in sin and saying, well, I'm just struggling, sin's just got a grip on me, well, then the truth of the matter is if sin's got a grip on you, you have not come to an understanding that grace really has a grip on you. Because when you know that grace has you, sin won't have you anymore. And if you believe that, somebody say amen. I'm going to make them happy before we leave here today, Pastor Kareem. When we become sin conscious, when all we think about is our sin, and we start to use self-effort in an attempt to overcome it, we actually make the problem worse. Remember, we're always moving in the direction of our thoughts. So we have to become righteousness conscious. We've gotta recognize that we have been made righteous. Righteousness is not something we're trying to achieve, it's something we received, why? Because he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that he could make us the righteousness of God in Christ. So my consciousness needs to be on the fact that I've been made righteous, not that I still wrestle with sin. By lifting the restraints, let's just talk for a minute now, let's be honest. We do run the risk that people may attempt to abuse the freedoms that grace brings us, taking it as an opportunity to sin. But here's my question. Are we gonna throw away all that is good because of the abuse of some? If that's the case, the moment the first divorce ever took place, we should have done away with marriage. That's insane, right? The fact of the matter is there are some that are absolutely going to abuse the freedoms that God's grace provides us, but that does not mean the gospel of grace needs to be extinguished. In fact, I believe this, we need to preach it louder and prouder than we ever have because it's gonna set people free, not free not free to sin, but watch this, free from sin. And if as a believer, you are not living in victory over sin, then here's what you need to do. You've got to make sure you are putting your faith in what Jesus did at the cross for you and I. When we do that, here's what we find out, that our new nature, our new man, is controlled by the Spirit's desires, not the law's demands. I love how Paul answers this, because he really, I I probably shouldn't even say that. I should've just read this scripture, because this is what he says in Romans 8. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. Glory to God. He sent his only son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. By how? By giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Holy Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that are pleasing to the Holy Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads you to death. But letting the Holy Spirit control your mind leads to a life and a life full of life and peace.
1: (laughs) Ooh, I'm so glad you're here, Reverend. Come on, y'all, give it up for Pastor Brad. (laughs) What an answer. And I see what you did. You used the word to answer the question. And that's what I love about the new covenant is when you look at it through the proper lens, every question we have is gonna, gonna be answered through the proper interpretation of his word. And I love it. So question number two, If I sin, will God remove his spirit from me? Boy, I wish I'd have known this 20 years ago. You know, our young people are going to camp. They left Friday. I got a chance to pray with them before they went to camp. And man, they're having an amazing time. But I remember years ago, my first youth camp. I'm a Southside kid from the hood. And I'm in this campsite, man. And they're teaching and they're preaching hard. And they talked about the Holy Spirit. And man, I was convinced that I was not good enough. I mean, you name it, because they drew out this picture of the Holy Spirit that was not healthy for a young believer, any believer, right? The picture that they draw out is that there's something about you that the Holy Spirit doesn't like. Come on. But I've got good news for you today, Calvary. You're going to have some clapping moments throughout today. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit, he lives in you and he will never leave you or forsake you even when you do wrong, even when you sin so this old picture of the holy spirit that many of us grew up with i want you to know that that is an unhealthy picture of the loving comforter that is alive on the inside of you now i want to say this he may be grieved over my stupid choices and some of the things that i do but he will never leave me because i'm going to do some things that are inconsistent with the new creation that i am in christ but here's the deal Now that we got a revelation of the finished work of the cross, we got to understand statements. Here's some statements that David made and David was a powerful voice. In Psalm 51, he says, do not take your presence from me and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. One of the most anointed messages I have ever heard had something to do with that. The preacher was powerful. It was some jumping and some screaming and the organ was lining up and then he started, "Mm." I mean, it was powerful but it was not biblically correct. So in the midst of that powerful atmosphere, I became convinced that there was something so wrong with me that the Holy Spirit can come and go, and come and go. And that's why I thank God for this new and greater covenant, because now I am fully convinced that the Holy Spirit, he's not coming and going. He is in me to stay. He will dwell in me. He's not afraid of my sin. He's not afraid of my uh, bad choices. In fact, he doesn't leave me when I mess up. We're going to talk about it later. He actually is teaching me and grooming me and shaping me and reminding me. How can he do that from a distance? You know, what he decided, I'm going to stay right where I'm at. This is my new residence on earth. I'm on the inside of you and I'm going to allow you, I'm going to be there with you to help you grow in grace. I'm not going to come and go and come and go based upon your mistakes and your behaviors. Here's a scripture that really helped me in John chapter 14 verse 16. Put this in your notes y'all. You're gonna need this one. It says that I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, a comforter, a helper to help you and to be with you for how long? Forever. Forever. So today I declare that you can banish the thought, the notion, That the Holy Spirit is going to leave you when you do something wrong. He's bigger than that. He's more loving than that. He's more committed to the mission of grace and reconciliation. He's going to stay right where he is in the heart of a believer. And he ain't leaving just because you made a mistake. That's good news, man. Okay, I'm moving quick. I'm moving quick. Number three, I think these two go together, Pastor Brad. Doesn't the Spirit convict us of sin? Ooh, all the holiness people just, their ears started tingling on that one. Because we were taught that the primary responsibility of the Holy Spirit is to convict you. To tell the Father every time you do something wrong. Like the Holy Spirit is the sheriff of heaven. He's going to tell a tale every time you do something wrong. He's going to run to the Father and tell the Father, give the Father a report of all the mistakes that you're making. But that is not the picture that we have of the Holy Spirit. The sin that the Holy Spirit convicts the unsaved of is the sin of not believing in Christ. We have a God-given conscience. I know when I do wrong. I don't need the Holy Spirit to reinforce when I do wrong. He is there to help me to think properly, to do right the next time that temptation comes up. I'm gonna to go to John 16, 8, because they don't want to hear. We gonna whisper, because they not listening no way. Are you blessing me, I don't know, but John 16, 8, and, and when he comes, he will convict the world of his sin, And of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Please walk us through John 16.
2: Oh, I love this right here, Pastor Cream, because this really does rip the mislabel off of the Holy Spirit. Because we were all taught when you read that. So if you just read John 16, 8, this is what it sounds like. And when he comes, he's going to convict you of your sin and of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. So we take all of that on us. Because we fail to read the next verses where he actually explains what his role is. How many of y'all know that the Holy Spirit has different roles to different people? See, when I go home, my role is father. My role is husband. But at work, my role may be boss or employee. So depending on who I'm dealing with depends on the role that I play. The Holy Spirit here, listen to what he says because we've got to keep reading. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Now listen to what he says. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to convict the world of its sin. And then he tells us what sin? The sin of unbelief. So watch this. Before you were married, I mean, before you're married, before you were born again, I was, gonna tell you, I was gonna say something a while ago, you said the Holy Spirit doesn't need to convince me when I sin, I said, that's right, I got a wife to do that, hallelujah, anyway. <laughs> the moment we get saved, <laughs> let me ask you a question, the moment you got saved, are you now still of the world? Yeah. You're in it, but are you of it, Not of it. no. So when you were unsaved, before you received the life of Christ, you were of the world. Do you believe that? You were a sinner. So what happens is we get a conviction of the Holy Spirit when we're a sinner that comes upon us and says, oh, you're living, you're dead, you're dead in sin. You need to make an acceptance right now. You need to declare and receive the life of Christ so you can get born again. You are a sinner, but you need to get born again as a saint. So in that moment, the Holy Spirit does convict me of sin. It's the sin of unbelief. So that I will respond to that conviction and it will convince me that I need to get saved to get born again in Christ. And in that moment when I receive the life of Christ, now, watch this, I'm no longer of the world. Now I'm of the kingdom. So he convinces, he convicts the world of sin. Then he keeps, keep reading. He says, righteousness is available because I go to the Father. Who is he talking about? He's talking to believers. He's talking to the disciples here. And he says, you are righteous. And the job of the Holy Spirit is not to convict you of sin, it's to convict you of righteousness. Right. Why would, not, why would the Holy Spirit not convict you of sin? Because your sin was paid for at the cross with the blood of Jesus. Why would he continually bring up a debt that's already been paid?
1: That's good.
2: He convicts us of righteousness. Okay, Pastor, well, what's that look like? That means that whenever I'm in a moment of temptation, the Holy Spirit goes, hey, Kareem, I wanna remind you, you've been made righteous. You don't need to do that. And then when you do, when you say, No, I'm gonna do it anyway, because that's what we do, y'all don't, but your neighbor does. Don't look at him. But but what happens is the moment we continue on and we commit a sin, he doesn't go, Why did you do that? You're a sinner, you're a sin. He doesn't remind us of our sin. You know what he does? The Holy Spirit says, Hey, I want to remind you, you don't need to do what you just did. You have been made righteous. You're not a sinner, you're not in the world, you're not of the world anymore. You're now of the kingdom of God and you've been made righteous. So I convict you. What's convict mean? It means to convince. So, his job for us as believers is to now convince us that we are righteous like Jesus said we are. Are y'all getting this? That's good. So, whenever I hear conviction of sin as a believer, I've got to recognize that's not the Holy Spirit because that brings guilt, shame, and condemnation on me. That's actually the enemy disguises the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you right now? Many times you and I both have thought it was the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin when it was not God, it was actually the enemy of us. It was was the enemy convincing us. And then he goes on to say and of judgment it's the enemy who has been judged, the ruler of this world. We know that he's talking about Satan there and he says he's already been judged, so the role of the Holy Spirit is to remind the world that it's sin Remind us that we're righteous and remind the enemy that he's already been judged and letting him know, go ahead, cut out the lights, the party's over. Come on, somebody. That's the conviction that the Holy Spirit does. What is the Holy Spirit, what's the role of the Holy Spirit? We Listen, we know it, we read about it. He's our counselor, what does that mean? He shows us a better way forward. He's not bringing punishment upon us, but he does bring correction. Punishment deals with my past, correction deals with my future. What else does he do? He's a comforter. He assures us, like you said a while ago, of his presence. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You're never gonna walk through this alone. He's a guide, he shares, he shines a very bright light on the path that God's picked out for us. He guides us into all truth and godliness. He's a teacher. He's constantly reminding us that we're a new creature in Christ, a new creation in Christ. Does that sound like somebody that's whacking you between the eyes with a two by four? If I hear one more believer say, Oh, the Holy Spirit wore me out this week, I'm like, that ain't the Holy Spirit, chief. It's not comforting to get the heck beat out of you. That's not the comforter. And the Holy Spirit's not schizophrenic either. He knows exactly what to do. He knows exactly his role. The question is, can we discern which spirit is speaking to us? And the truth is, we fail to do so and we often assign things that are said to the Holy Spirit when those are things that he never said. Man, that's good stuff. Are y'all right, Pastor Green? I feel like Pastor Green's getting saved up here. Come on. (laughs) Let's keep moving, because I want to hit question yeah. four. This is a big one. Yeah. If my sin nature has been removed, Pastor, then why am I still tempted? Help us. Boy, I tell you what, I love this right here, because I can't tell you how many people I've had come to me and say, Pastor, I'm struggling. I'm really struggling. I'm in sin. And I'll go, my goodness, what in the world have you done? It's like, no, it's not. There's temptation, and temptation's all over. Everywhere I look, I'm being tempted. Yeah. And I said, well, what? Have you, have you given in the temptation? No, I hadn't given in, but it's everywhere I look. And I said, if you hadn't given in, you hadn't sinned yet. Notice I say yet, because most of them keep on going. <laughs> temptation is not a sin. No. I want you to hear me loud and clear, because some of us are walking around in condemnation because of thoughts right. that have appeared that aren't even our thoughts, and we think just because that thought was there that we must be living in sin. And we're living in guilt, shame, and condemnation when the truth of the matter is we haven't even committed the sin. Right. No and I have people say, Pastor, just pray for my deliverance. And like, what do you need deliverance from? I need deliverance from temptation. Cause I'm tempted everywhere. Let me tell you right now. I want you to hear me, Calvary Church. Listen to me. You will never be delivered from temptation. It got quiet up in this Baptist church all of a sudden. Did? Listen to me. You will never be delivered from temptation. Jesus said, "Let me teach you how to pray. Pray, like, deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. We want Him to deliver us from temptation." He doesn't deliver us from temptation, why? Because if he delivered us from temptation, that means he'd have to take the choice away and we would lose our free will. Right. Oh. <laughs> And he's never going to take the free will away. He didn't deliver Adam and Eve from temptation. He allowed it to be in the garden, but he didn't lead them into temptation. Because notice what he does. He says, I'll lead you not to temptation. Why is that? Because the Spirit of God, according to the scripture, that's found in Matthew 3, as soon as Jesus gets baptized, the Bible says the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. So the spirit led Jesus into temptation, why? Because he knew Jesus could handle and overcome the temptation, and Jesus is our substitute, so he doesn't lead us into temptation, that's why he led Jesus into temptation. He's not gonna take away your temptation. He gives you the power to make the right decision. If he took away your temptation, he would take away your free will, and God doesn't want robots. He has sons and daughters with the right to choose, and he says, I have put inside of you the overcomer, and you will overcome every temptation I feel like running in this church today.
1: Clear that out right there. I'm gonna run right down there. When I, I'm running right down there. That's powerful, man.
2: We don't need deliverance from temptation. We have the Spirit of
1: God in us to overcome temptation. So we got a distorted view of the Holy Spirit and his relationship with us, but we also got this messed up mindset regarding sin and temptation. That's the power of new covenant. We get this clarity that we've never had before. So thank you, Pastor Brad. Let's give it up for Pastor Brad. Aren't y'all glad he's here today? I could not have done this alone. Trust me. (laughs) Number five, we're going to move real quick because we got a big question to answer today. So, Pastor Brad, if I don't forgive others, will God forgive me? Now, here's a basic rule of hermeneutics. It's to carry old covenant language through the cross. Don't stop at the cross. Go through the cross. So, if a teaching comes through unchanged, guess what? It's all good. Let it be. But if the new covenant teaching after the cross redefines the subject, then we must continue to flow with the revelation of the new covenant. In the old covenant, it was performance based. You remember that? If then. If you do this, then God will do that. But listen to how the new covenant explains forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. It is clear that forgiveness of others is not a condition for being forgiven. Somebody ought to be clapping right now because they told me that God wasn't going to forgive me until I forgave everybody else. They told me that my forgiveness from God was based upon me forgiving others. But the word has redefined all of the false doctrine that I've learned over my life and God has given us a clear picture. after the cross since the work has been finished it is a privilege to forgive why because we've already been forgiven since therefore so since I have been forgiven therefore I can forgive others, and here is what I want you to know, that if I don't forgive others, I'm missing out on my freedom, joy, and peace, and I'm allowing the toxicity from a relationship to stay in my sanctified self, so instead of me releasing it and letting it go because of the privilege that I have in Christ, I'm holding on to it, and I'm telling you, I'm missing out on a healthy grace walk. And the other person is probably chilling, ain't even thinking about me. So, so that forgiveness of others have nothing to do with the forgiveness that we've already received in Christ. Here's one we're gonna talk about later in the series. I'm gonna move real quick. Doesn't the Bible say we should confess our sins? comes up several times in Scripture, right? James 5, 16, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Here's what Scripture is telling us, lens of the new covenant, that confession is a healthy way to build each other up. Why? Because confession simply means to agree with the Father. So when we're confessing, we're simply agreeing with each other on what God said about us. We're simply agreeing with each other on what God says about sin. We're simply agreeing with each other on what the finished work has accomplished for both of us. So we're building each other up. It's also a healthy way to exercise if I've wronged a brother. So if I've wronged you, I simply say, hey, bro, I'm wrong, man. It's on me bro. I don't want you carrying the burden thinking you did something wrong so what I'm going to do is use my privilege, my freedom, my empowering grace and I'm going to free him by letting him know this went on me. Would you forgive me? If he forgives me, great. But if he don't I'm releasing myself from the bondage of the offense. Are y'all getting that today? Y'all see the power of confession as it relates horizontally to one another has nothing to do with us being uh, uh, growing in our grace walk with God. That work has been finished. It has already been done. I simply agree with the Father. That's right. Now, since we're talking about sin, Pastor Brad, could you please yeah. answer <laughs> this last question for all of us today? God bless you, sir. I just wanna say I forgive you for making me
2: answer this last question, hallelujah. So watch this, Calvary Church, let's end with this question, because this is real. How then, pastor, do we deal with someone who's been caught in sin? Yeah. Now most believers don't have a problem with this question as long as they're not the one who was caught. Exactly. <laughs> but how do we, how do we, how do, even the church, how do we respond when someone's been caught in sin? Because there's this idea of, okay, well, if you're a grace church, then whatever goes, so what, we've, we've already clearly defined that's not the right. case. So what, how do we respond when it comes to this? Well, I want to be honest with you. And this, this, this question really is near to my heart because when I was reflecting on leadership, even just individually, my personal leadership, I've had to take a very long, honest look about how I've done this. The Bible's clear on what we should do. I love the fact that Paul addressed it in his Galatians 6.1. He says, brother, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, now, let me just say that again. You who are spiritual Let me say it loud for the people in the back. You who are spiritual, if you're not spiritual, you're not involved in this. Because here's what it here's what it could say for those of you who are not spiritual. You deal with it on Facebook,
1: right? Exactly, Instagram, on the gram. That's
2: right. In our our, not gospel circle, gossip circles. There you go. (laughs) But listen to what he says, brother. If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently but watch yourself because you also may be tempted. Let me tell you, as leaders, we have a responsibility to protect the flock of God. I believe that with all my heart. We take that task very seriously here at Calvary. There are many predators out there in the world. There's sexual predators, there's financial predators, there's spiritual predators who love to distort the word of God and pervert it to bring people into manipulation and control. In the event of someone like this, coming to our attention. We must bring correction for the sake of other souls. Do you believe that? Yes. The key though is we must deal with it and speak to them in love. If they are repentant when we do that, then here's what we do, we walk with them and we see them fully restored. Whenever we're dealing with someone's sin, the goal is always restoration. Are y'all here in this church? You better say amen cuz you don't ever know when you're the one, all right? So it's it's important that as leaders, we must recognize when we're when we're correcting someone, when we're disciplining someone, when we're dealing with someone's sin, it's always unto bringing them to restoration. That way we keep our hearts right. We're not trying to punish anybody. We're not trying to make you feel bad long enough to make us feel better, because that's how church, sometimes church leadership is like, well, when we feel like you feel bad long enough, then we'll restore you, that's not how this works. It is bringing people to complete restoration based on the purchase of the, of the price that was paid with the blood of Jesus. So that's what we do. If they're unrepentant, if they don't respond to our counsel, they say, you know what, I'm I'm gonna continue to do this, I don't care, I'm gonna continue on the the route I'm going, then Paul says it is imperative that we remove them from fellowship. That's harsh. But while it's not to punish that person, it's to protect the others. Can I just tell you right now, if you really see God in the character and nature of who he really is, you'll recognize he's not a God that's about punishment, he's a God that's about protection. God didn't kick Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden to punish them, he did it to protect them because if then they went and ate of the tree of life, they would be sustained forever in a fallen nature. He's a God of protection. What we do, we protect them by removing that person. But we recognize that our motive in doing that is to protect the other people from falling into the schemes that the enemy is working on. I can tell you right now, I've not always done this right but I know for a fact that that is God's heart. And we see it finally in this. Real quick, in the story of Luke, you remember this church, there was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery and she was brought before Jesus. And if you remember Jesus, he's dealing with this woman and when they come to him and, and they're really just trying to trap Jesus, right? They're wanting Jesus to say, well, we got a stoner," because that goes against his ministry. Right. But we know if he's gonna be holy, he can't go against God's law. And Jesus, when, when they bring it to Jesus, he, he kneels down and he begins writing in the dust. And he says something that's very profound. He says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And I love this. He kneels back down and he begins writing. And it says one by one, from the oldest unto the youngest, they begin to leave that place. All of her the detractors, all of her, the, the people who are trying to condemn her, they begin to leave one by one and then jesus does what i love so much about the gospel he gives her in that moment mercy and grace there's a difference listen to me mercy and grace mercy neither do i condemn you that's what he says you are not condemned what you did is in the past stand up young lady i don't condemn you but he didn't stop there because he doesn't say because if you only get mercy then you have a propensity to enter back into that cycle of sin and continuing to live that lifestyle but he doesn't just give her mercy I love this he gives her grace because listen to what he says he says neither do I condemn you mercy now go and sin no more grace and that is what we're called to do whenever someone falls in sin we show them mercy and say hey you're better than that God paid for that don't walk around with your head down Hold your head high and say, I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Now, because you're empowered with the grace of God, go and don't continue to live in a lifestyle that's beneath the price he paid. Calvary, stand to your feet all over this building.
1: So good. You know what I want to do real quick, Pastor Brad, Pastor Chris, I want to pray for those who may have grown up in some ugly legalistic environments and harshly corrected instead of lovingly corrected. And that has kind of interfered with their relationship today with the church. I want you to know that you're loved. I want you to know that you are blessed. I want you to know that you are completely, totally forgiven. I want you to know that you are a part of this family. We don't tolerate you, we celebrate you, and we will walk with you as you journey on your grace walk. The Holy Spirit will not leave you or forsake you. And we're standing with you. Father, I speak healing. I speak strength. I speak just this celebrate, covenant picture of correction when I do wrong. Father, we thank you today and we celebrate you in Jesus' name. Clap your hands if you receive that today, Calvary. You know, Pastor Kareem,
3: you could stay standing. I just this moment of the, the prophetic. Um, That we carved out. I I hope you understand that prophetic words are meant to Help you hold on to to connect to faith and say I'm not gonna let go here It's pointing to something that maybe God said to you individually or a a scripture verse that you're holding on to and as I was sitting there um, Today in worship I leaned over to Pastor Brad and said yeah, let's let's flow. I I got a word this this is a, a word that it's not gonna be for everybody, but there are a certain group of people that it is this word. It's, it's to hold on. So when I say hold on, I'm not speaking of anything that is in this realm. It's not to your money. Listen to what I'm gonna say, and please get it in context. It's not to a person. It's not to a job. It's not to your education. It's not to your ability. It has nothing to do with anything you can see, touch, taste, or smell. In genesis 32 there was a picture of a man his name was jacob and he wrestled with god all night long and god said some weird things to him he said let me go because it's daybreak jacob said i ain't gonna let you go till you bless me see if you know this story in context he was a wealthy man and he sent all of his kids his wives his possessions he said I don't care about my holdings I don't care about likes on social media I don't care what people think about me God I'm not letting go of you you are the source of everything this was an all-in moment for Jacob and you might find yourself at a place where you're wrestling some stuff down see you the reason why his name was changed to Israel it means the one that contended with God and won how do you wrestle God and win unless he wants you to so I say again don't let go what you're fighting is not your career It has nothing to do beloved hear my heart this is a painful moment because you lose what you spent your whole life thinking was of value Jacob manipulated with his own effort with his brother with Laban he's a wealthy man he said God I'm still empty this isn't satisfying me and i'm gonna speak this word over you calvary church today and and whoever this is for god is saying if you contend with me israel one that contends with god if you contend with me and you hold on and everything else seems like it's leaving or going away all that is is the things that can change will change but i don't change the things that can leave will leave but i ain't never gonna leave he says but if you will contend I'm going to let you win, son. I'm going to let you win, daughter. And when you have me, hey, spoiler alert, you have everything. And this world can no longer affect you the way it did before. So Father, I just speak that over whoever this word is for today in their mind, that they don't let go of the one thing that's most important. It's you. As they redefine who they are on this earth as they simply turn their attention to you and they don't let go through the dark soul of the night and they hold on because day is coming in Jesus name amen come on church can you put your hands together if you receive that could you do me a quick favor I know we took a little bit of time to kind of flow in the prophetic. If you give me three minutes, just sit right there. Pastor Brad is gonna speak a blessing over us before we go. Please just give me a moment. It's an honor to have you here. I know you left your church, and you know Pastor Ben is very gracious and shares this platform with all of us. Um, there's some things that people that are sitting here are unaware of the reach of Calvary Church. Could you very quickly, without getting into structure and all that stuff we have a lane that has to do with expansion and multiplication talk to us a little bit about this expansion lane something you're helping out with
2: yeah pastor Chris you guys need to know this oftentimes we think our world is the world so what we see in front of us is what we think that's all there is and what you need to recognize is that what God is doing here at Calvary is beyond what you see locally this is a big deal that we the local church is our passion you know that But what we're able to do with this new expansion reach is is to really begin to see the vision God's put in our pastor's heart to to take this gospel all over the world and empower other local gatherings of believers, other local churches to begin to transform their communities with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so part of our expansion lane, Pastor Chris, is that we, you know, I oversee the the CCG, which is basically our campus, our locations. And I'm telling you right now, you would not believe What is happening right now when it comes to expansion and locations, we have a brand new location that is going to be coming on board August 29th. So the end of next month, we're going to have a brand new weekend location just like this
3: in another place. Come on, church. Y'all can get excited.
2: And on top of that, we've already started the process with a second location. Uh, all the way on the other side of the country that's doing something amazing God's working in. And so we're already started the process of bringing them on board as well. Why do I say all that? I say all that because of this. Your generosity yeah. not only allows us to do great mission work right here in the Metroplex where we're doing incredible things and our outreach is changing lives and changing the city, but you're also able to reach into places that you may never step foot in because your generosity is empowering the movement of Calvary to be able to take this message to the ends of the earth which is exactly what Jesus told us to do we exist to declare and demonstrate the gospel to everyone every day, everywhere, not just here in Texas not just here in the United States but all over the world so do me a favor, put your hands together and thank God for allowing us to partner with him and your generosity is what does it
3: you guys can prepare your giving you can give digitally um, which is the way that I give for years Uh, you can give with an envelope if you still want to do so that way we're gonna do a givers confession and I want to continue to do this for a couple more weeks if you can't hear this it's okay but you're Kings and priests many of us know we have a ministry but you didn't know you were supposed to rule part of this givers confession is somebody that understands they're meant to rule you you're meant to win in life God wants to get resources to you to be a blessing to the world so if you don't get that I understand but as we grow in this revelation you'll understand you are a priest and a king and this giver's confession is for those of you that I believe you trust God in every area you recognize you are meant to have the sevenfold blessing that Abraham had to be a blessing to nations I'm not gonna preach that but that's Abraham's blessing but let's do this let's do this together this is the confession yeah. through the pandemic pastor Ben has been leading us in this confession and story after story of people that said pastor unexpected checks bonuses raises debts paid off it's crazy y'all so we're gonna make this confession together. This is what we call our giver's confession. I hope you make this confession yours. 2021 giver's confession, read with me. As I give today, I'm believing the Lord for, come on, jobs and better jobs, say it, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, favorable settlements, estates and inheritances, interests and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, debts paid off, expenses decrease, blessings and increase. Thank you Lord for meeting all my financial needs in 2021 that I may have more than enough to give into the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of grace to everyone every day everywhere. In Jesus name, amen. Come on, clap your hands. Pastor Brad, speak a blessing over the people, would you? Father, we
2: just thank you so much for this amazing day you bless us with to gather together with like-minded believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, and hear your gospel, the good news that activates our identity as new creations in Christ. Lord, I thank you that now we get to give and sow into a kingdom where there's no lack and loss. We thank you for the harvest that will come from it. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of something so amazing that the world is literally being changed from country to country, from place to place, from glory to glory with the power of your word. And we thank. you today that we get to participate in that in Jesus name somebody say amen amen and amen
3: Stand your feet with me and let me just speak a blessing over you we'd love to see you at the five today if you hadn't signed up for kids camp we have a, a place out in the central lobby where you could do that would you raise one of your hands father I declare over your people today that we walk out of this place not under our own power but on the power of the Holy Spirit I thank you that every person with their hand raised was born to win to be an overcomer Bless them as they walk out of this place in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church. See you next week.
1: We encourage
0: you to live generously and give generously. You can do that right there online on our app by searching and downloading Calvary Church CC. You can give on our website or you can text to give by texting Calvary IRV followed by the amount to 77977. And I encourage you to set up your recurring giving. Calvary, let's remain consistent and faithful in the face of inconsistency.